Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. At the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, and it was that the crowd would assemble, and then there would be this pause, this moment of absence where uh, the one who was to be named monarch or ruler uh, would be absent for a period of time, and the idea was to build anticipation, and then there would be this dramatic announcement, somebody with a loud voice crying out, and the accomplishments and the titles would be uh, read off, and then this person would be presented, and the audience would go wild, and this new ruler would be crowned and then enthroned. We're going to see just such a scene play out in Revelation 4 and 5, and I'm going to read here in just a minute. Um, Before I do that, I'm going to back up a little bit, and remind us of some things that Jesus was very clear about uh, when he spoke directly to his disciples concerning his return. If you remember from week one when we started, Jesus starts with, don't be misled, don't panic, and use your opportunities Uh, with integrity, right? Be a person of of integrity as you manage the opportunities God has given to you. Use those resources, your abilities on behalf of of others rather than leveraging them for your own pleasure, for your own advancement. Uh, So that's kind of the, the big story that Jesus tells, the way in which he wants us to prepare our hearts. I'm gonna read another passage Uh, from Luke, chapter 21, and starting in verse 20. um, It says, And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills, those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city, for those will be days of God's vengeance and the prophetic words of the scriptures will be fulfilled. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. Right? Difficult to run in that situation. Uh, For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. Speaking of the Jewish people specifically. They will be killed by the sword and sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of Gentiles comes to an end. Uh, The easiest interpretation of this is that this is a reference to when uh, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed by the Romans, and 
the Jewish people were dispersed, and since that time, uh, they have seemed to be very unliked. Uh, you know, we're familiar with the Holocaust, but uh, before the Holocaust, there have been uh, many uh, efforts against the Jewish people, uh, oftentimes brought on by the Christian church, if you can believe that or, or not, or those who uh, purported to be the Christian church uh, would carry out things against the Jewish people, trying to sort of, you know, punish them for what they did to Jesus. Uh, so there's been some craziness around the Jewish nation. Um, verse 25, and there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by roaring seas and strange tides. All right, so we're moving to some very specific signs. Uh, so if you're a fisherman and you're out there and you're supposed to be catching fish, you think the tide is right? Well, that's probably just because you're a bad fisherman uh, or something else has gone wrong. I think the story given here is that there will be some sort of cataclysmic things that are very difficult to miss. These things will be uh, more than evident to everybody who is experiencing them. Um, I think that's why it says next, or uh, well, it says people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Right? It's gonna be hard to miss that. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So remember when Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples when I return, it's gonna be just like this. Right? So there's not actually like a, a ton of mystery surrounding all of this. We're just waiting for it to happen. Jesus has spoken very clearly about how certain things, the most important things, are going to go down. Then there's this verse. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. And that, I think, is where Jesus wants our mindset to be. When all these things happen, signs are going to be clear, not going to be a lot of mystery about it. There's going to be this final confrontation between God and the enemy against the evil one, right? We can think back to uh, the Exodus, right? God was very much confronting in the wide open, in the public. He was confronting the enemy. Uh, these plagues, these things that were happening were not happening behind the scenes, this was a battle between the rebellious will of man in combination with the work of the enemy versus God the Almighty, making it very clear who the Almighty was. So in those moments of very much non-mystery but very much significant clash, Christians are called to stand and look up and know that their salvation is near. So, as I mentioned last week, we are huge fans of doomsday. We Christians. We, we welcome the apocalypse. We want it. We're all about it. Bring on all of these final signs. Yes, there are going to be some, some horrible, terrible, difficult things, but at the end of it, there is Jesus. And that is what we crave more than anything else. Because we know who Jesus is, we do not stand in fear. We stand and we look up because we know our salvation is near.
Revelation chapter four. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. I always tried to imagine what that would be like as a kid. So I can play, I can do a mouth trumpet. Did you know that? Quite skilled. Yeah, okay. You guys want more? I can play a whole songs. It's not bad, huh? Yeah. Okay, that's enough of that. I wasn't even planning on doing that, so. Okay. Uh, where was I? Voice like a trumpet blast. Okay, here we go. The voice said, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four elders surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne there were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. I'm going to stop there for a moment. John is trying to describe something that he's seen that is truly otherworldly. I have tried to just kind of imagine this in my mind. Uh, I did what we do these days. I Googled it. And uh, we have a couple of like artist renditions here of what this you know, kind of, is kind of describing. Uh, here's one. Yeah. Uh, there's another one. You can just leave that up there for a second. Uh, pretty bad graphics, right? Uh, and that's about how I feel about my sermon that uh, this is going to be a pretty sad attempt uh, because what I'm trying to do is to help us understand how incredible um, God is in reality, and I'm going to fail at that. Um, just as this picture, I'm sure, fails quite a bit, um, you know. There, there aren't the right words. Even if I knew, and I, I do know a few big words, like sesquipedalian. Uh, you can look that up. It'd be fun for you if you're a nerd. Um, but I know a few big words, but even if I combined them all together in a really eloquent way, I would fall tremendously short of some sort of apt description of what what the reality of the glory of God is. So I think it's good for us to try to imagine. Right? God gave us an imagination. I think these scenes 
given to us in the scriptures like this are evoking our imaginations. Uh, And then I remember that God's promise is that he will do uh, far beyond what we can ask or imagine. And I think, okay, even at the height of my big imagination, what I imagine to be a big imagination, God is going to go so far beyond that. Uh, so I'm not going to like attempt to add a bunch of you know, flowery words to try to describe this to you, because I would, I would fail. Um, it's going to be so far beyond anything we could even begin to imagine, to be in the throne room of the one who created everything, everything, the one who holds all power. Uh, These four living creatures, uh, there have been uh, multiple attempts to try to understand what is going on with these, you know, four different faces and just different things going on. Uh, I could roll through with you some different ideas about how maybe it's representative of creation or maybe representative of sort of all of the created uh, order in the universe. Uh, I'm just going to go with this interpretation. There are four awesome beings that are at the foot of the throne of God. I'm hoping to see them one day. That's the part of the interpretation I'm concerned about. I want to see them. Um, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, we keep seeing that title. It's almost as though it's important. It's almost as though it's the thing that sets God apart from anything else that makes God completely unique. The fact that before existence was a thing, there was God. Kind of a big deal. (laughs) Before anything was created anywhere, there was God. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. So it seems like these four living creatures are like the worship leaders of heaven. All of heaven seems to respond when these four living creatures do this thing of worship. Um, I think it's important for the original audience that is undergoing some significant persecution and they're being called upon to make a very significant decision about where their loyalty is going to lie and who they are going to worship. It's important for them to be reminded of the one who is truly worthy of worship. I think we're in a different category. Um, do you know that the church is, is funny? 
at least from my perspective. I laugh at the church a lot. By the church, I mean you. (laughs) And me. And I have other possible reactions, but one of the reactions that I choose most often is just to, to kind of chuckle and kind of laugh at what's going on. And it reminds me to take my own self and my own views maybe a little bit less serious. But worship is one of those areas where I get a lot of chuckles. Um, so let me, let me draw you into this a little bit, uh, just so we make sure we're on the same page. But did anybody have a thought while we were in worship this morning? Did anyone have a thought about their worship preference? I'll give you an example. Uh, Earlier in the, in the first service, I thought the music was too quiet because I could hear my own voice. And I do not think that's a good thing. Whether you are weird enough to think that's a good thing or not, it doesn't matter to me. But I don't think that's a, a good thing. I'm not here to hear my voice. Uh, I don't want you to hear my voice. Uh, so... I thought the, the music should have been a, a little bit louder, like coming through the PA, right? And the second service, I, was, I don't know if you noticed or not. I, I may have distracted some of you, but uh, somebody other than myself adjusted the temperature on the wall, which is a problem. You can't have more than two people running the thermostat, right? I think in this case it might have been my wife, so we'll discuss that afterwards. She thinks she has some sort of power around here. I don't know. We'll work on that. But I went over there and I adjusted it back down. Um, Anybody else have any any thoughts about worship? Maybe not this morning because you've decided, okay, well, I know I'm not the one in charge here, so I can't really change it. But if I did, I would change some things. Um, It's fun being a pastor, by the way. And I think... I think it would be fun for you to be a pastor for like a week and hear what people say. Um, I can just give you a sampling of examples. The drums are a great one. The drums are always either too loud or not loud enough. Uh, So far, I haven't had anybody tell me that the drums are the instrument of the devil, but that viewpoint is out there, okay? Um, sometimes I hear that a particular song is, there there are issues with a particular song, um, stylistically. Um, Sometimes I hear that, uh, well, maybe we sang a chorus one too many times. Hmm. Sometimes I hear that we sing too many songs, that four is just too much. And then I also hear that we are not singing nearly as many songs as we need to be singing if we are really going to truly worship. Is everybody identifying where they're at on all of these things? So basically, I am a politician. 
Maybe you think that I'm looking through the Bible and trying to figure out how many worship songs we're gonna sing on Sunday. If you've been thinking that, you are so wrong. I'm just trying to keep people happy. I'm just being honest this morning. And this is what every pastor does, right? In different church traditions, they have a different number of songs that tends to keep people in their church tradition the most satisfied. I know all of you are thinking right now, this is not good. This doesn't seem at all like what worship will be like in heaven. Do you know that we will have zero control of what worship looks like in heaven? Like, there, will, there is not such a thing as worship preference in heaven. God is pretty specific about how worship should go in the Bible. But we, we have really potentially messed it up. I'll get, let me give you an example. I listen to worship music as like one of the genres that I listen to. I have worship music and then I have songs that I like. Okay, so I know I'm not the only one. All right? Now, sometimes I like worship music. Don't get me wrong. But that's how I have it divided in my mind. Right? And sometimes when I'm listening to worship music, which... If I'm going to be totally honest, I, I do listen to more than songs that I like. Um, maybe that's a, a good thing, I don't know. But one of the things I've noticed is that when I get to a worship song that I don't like, I just click next. Yeah, getting tired of that song. Yeah, I'm feeling more upbeat. That's kind of a slow song. Next. Anybody have a Spotify account? Next. Next. Um, now, I'm not going to make you, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about clicking to next. So, but I think it possibly for me, anyways, it's maybe revealing something about what has happened in my world when it comes to worship. Is that somehow, in some very twisted way, I've been convinced that maybe there's a part of worship that's about me. And doesn't that just seem pretty dark when you think about it? That I, that I even have a preference, a worship preference. Um, that I would struggle to worship in some situations but I would be more comfortable worshiping in other situations. And just think about that for a second. Doesn't that say something about what's going on in my heart? That I have a worship preference. That there's such a thing as worship preferences. Uh, oh, why don't we sing more hymns? Don't you know that hymns are so doctrinally rich and sacred They've been like sanctified by the historical church. And they're basically the Bible. Oh, I didn't know that. 
Ah, oh, we can't sing hymns. Those are a thing of the past. They're so slow. They've lost their meaning. Oh, really? I could keep going. There are so many examples that I could give. There is a story in the scriptures of a being in heaven who got worship tragically wrong, whose role was to be the primary worship leader in heaven, whose role was to be the best reflection of who God is. And I wonder if sometimes if the enemy, the one who has fallen from heaven, I wonder if sometimes he has gotten us twisted in our hearts about what worship is about. Because you see, Satan got to the place where he decided that he was worthy of worship. He had a worship preference himself. So worship is very dangerous. It is a very dangerous thing. We're missing a player in this heavenly worship scene. We've seen God the Father and we've seen God the Holy Spirit, but we are missing a player. Then I saw a scroll on the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll and it was sealed with seven seals. Oftentimes, and I'm not sure if there's a comparison to be made here, but Oftentimes, a Roman edict would be sent, and it would obviously have writing on the inside, but it would also have a summary on the outside of the scroll. It says, And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings, and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns, so probably a representation of complete power, and seven eyes, probably a representation of um, complete knowledge, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each had a harp, and they held gold, bowl, gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. This is really extraordinary to think about. That God responds to our prayers. That our prayers have an impact on the way that God moves on when, that God, when God moves. 
that our prayers are heard. Uh, our worship is experienced by God. Uh, he wants our prayers to be part of his courtroom. He wants our prayers to be heard in his courtroom. So that should really remind us that God values us in a way that is so far beyond what we can even start to grasp. There is like a suicide epidemic going on right now, right? And that's, you know, that's the worst end of it. When somebody has gotten to a place where they feel so valueless. And God invites us, the God of the universe, the one who made existence happen. He invites us into his throne room. There are 24 elders, human beings, sitting in the presence of God. We are invited in. Our prayers, the prayers of the saints, our prayers are heard in the courtroom of heaven. So we should walk around with a little bit more pride who God has made us to be. We should walk around with an understanding that we are priceless. Our value is of cosmic and eternal value. And we ought to pray. We ought to pray because it is the highest privilege. Right? We, we talk about the privilege of voting and we make each other feel guilty if, they, if you haven't voted because it's a privilege. People have died so that we can have that privilege. This is so next level. So next level. The opportunity to have our prayers heard in heaven. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you are slaughtered and your blood is ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and people nation, every language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests from our God and they will reign on the earth. They will reign on the earth. You get a glimpse into what God has for us in the future. Remember when Adam and Eve were set in the garden, they were created in God's image and they were given the command to reign, to rule. We are rulers, each of us. That's why we don't like oppression. Because we were designed to rule and to reign. We've obviously gotten that wrong. Right? That's what sin is when we use the, the potency that God has planted within us to serve ourselves, to oppress others, to manipulate to leverage our resources in order to gain more resources for ourselves, We are made to reign, to rule in his 
image in the way that he does, which is to pour himself out, which is to give himself up for us. That is how we are called to rule and to reign. So this might twist your mind a little bit, but when it comes to just like the form of worship, I think there's actually another religion, a complete other religion that has it closer to right than we do. Have you ever heard of Islam? And are you thinking I'm a heretic now? Just stick with me for like 30 seconds, okay? Maybe longer. But you've probably seen on a movie somewhere or something, you've seen inside of a mosque and you've seen Muslims worshiping. As far as I know, there's no worship style preference issues there. You go in and you get on your knees, on your face, and you worship. So that's a little scary to think about, isn't it? That maybe they're getting it right, maybe we're getting it wrong. I thought about being really dramatic and clearing the chairs and just seeing who would be willing to come down and lay on their face before God. I thought somebody might complain about their sore knees like I would. And so I thought about bringing out some workout mats just to take away any excuses. We're pretty uncomfortable just thinking about that, aren't we? Would he ever do something like that? Because that'd be tough. I'd be putting you guys on the spot, wouldn't I? Because I just read a passage and then... Well, luckily God is concerned about not so much our form of worship, but our heart of worship. So imagine if you decided right now to never have a worship preference again. I mean... Could you imagine walking into the throne room? I mean, I know we can't really imagine that, but let's say we could. Uh, man, I, I feel like that angel over there is a little off key. <laughs> could we turn their mic down, please? And what I really want to sing right now is the song, Our God is an Awesome God. You guys remember that one? That was a good one. You could really get into that. I said you don't want to hear me sing. Don't suggest <laughs> things like that. Right? We, we're not going to have a worship preference when we come into the presence of God. What if we just decided now, and this would make my job a lot easier, by the way, if we just remove that from our, our thinking, what would that look like? What would it look like if we oriented our entire lives around the reality of the return of Jesus Christ? 
What if we just realized that our, our role was to worship him and to reign in honor of him, to rule as a reflection of him? There's a passage in Romans, Romans 12 and verse 1 that gives us a very practical way to worship. It puts it in different terms. Right? It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is truly the way to worship. To surrender ourselves, to give up ourselves, to remind ourselves in every moment and every facet of our lives that our life is not about our life. Our life is about his glory and honor. That is our role, to reflect him, not to try to get people to see us. Uh, my son uh, Tanner, I think around age five, when I asked him, what would your dream day look like? said, in my dream day, you wouldn't be in control of me. I would be in control. And uh, that taught me something about my relationship with God. It taught me that my default setting is that I'm in control of me. And I want to be in more control of me. The things I don't have control of, I'm trying to take control of those things. Right? That's the whole reason you grow up is so that you can be the one in control when you're a kid, right? It's all you're thinking about. I want to be older because they get more control. At least that was my experience. Uh, at some point, we're called to surrender ourselves fully and completely and recognize that Jesus is worthy of all of our praise, of everything that we have, everything that we do, all that we are, he is worthy of all of that. And we're called to give it over to him, our vices, our personality, our ambition, everything about us, flat on, the fa on our face before God, crown off. It's all his. It all belongs to him. So that's my hope, that we would develop a heart for worship, that we would desire to care only about the way in which God wants us to worship, that we would care only about stepping into the things that he has called us to, that our only objective would be to be responsive to the Holy Spirit of God who is asking us to do this or that that we, we, we would be immediately responsive. Let's pray together. Father, we have a solid 2,000 years of messed up and misplaced and confused Christian tradition around worship. We ask for forgiveness for that. We pray that you would help us to navigate a way forward in terms of style. Uh, 
that you would help us navigate through a heart for worship, a heart for being in your presence, a desire for you, that we would recognize any attempt to draw closer to you as a good attempt. Lord, that we would give our lives fully to you. That we would surrender everything we have. That we would take our crown off. On our face before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, From Revelation 1, 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Have an incredible week. We'll see you next week, if not before. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.